G'day and welcome to the Hidden Why podcast. This is episode 816. This is my interview with Monica Berg. I hope you enjoy. Cheers. Yo, yo, g'day. Welcome to another interview here at the Hidden Why. Hope you guys are well. Thanks for tuning in so greatly. I appreciate you coming on, guys, and uh, checking out these interviews. I'd love to hear from more of you. Let me know what you think, what you love about the uh, Hidden Why, the podcast, the blogs, the interviews, what you want more of, what you want less of. That'd be cool. Reach me at thehiddenwhy.com. You can reach me at my email, thehiddenwhyguy at gmail.com as well. Guys, today's an outstanding conversation. It's a really cool interview with Monica Berg. Now, if you haven't heard of Monica Berg, she is a change junkie and she wants to challenge the way you think about everything. She is also the uh, Chief Operating or Communications Officer for the Kabbalah Center. And uh, so we start the conversation talking about that. What is it? I didn't know. Um, So we explain that and we talk about some of the wisdoms like proactive versus reactive and what that all means and that sort of stems into a conversation around ego and the light that's within us and then how we can all go and find more purpose in our lives and find that that sense of greater meaning that is beyond ego that is beyond this selfishness pursuit but more of a selfless selfless pursuit um, so it's a really cool conversation in that regards we then talk about her book uh, fear is not an option and um, there's a lot of love to share in this interview guys so i hope you really enjoy it Uh, Let me know what you think. Let Monica know what you think. You can reach her. There's links within the show notes there. And you can always reach me through the normal channels. Facebook is my preferred option or the website and email. Thanks, guys. We'll talk soon. Cheers. G'day, Monica, and welcome to the Hidden Wild Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. How's your evening? (laughs) It's going well. I started my day at 5 a.m., so it's a long day, but it's a good one. Yeah, I find it incredibly difficult to do interviews at 8 p.m. at night. I'm an early riser, so I can uh, show empathy from your perspective there doing this interview. Um, I hope it's a good time for you anyway to do these things, and I um, appreciate you coming on the show today, that's for sure. What, um, Monica, what, uh, what did you enjoy for dinner tonight? I had a quinoa salad with a pesto dressing. <laughs> Jeez, that sounds healthy, huh? Yeah, yeah. That sounds very good. Well, look, let's get into it. We've got uh, a lot to cover, um, but we'll probably just focus on a couple of things that I'm particularly interested in, and that is, number one, you're a change junkie, a self-confessed change junkie, um, which I certainly can relate to, and I think a lot of people that tune into this show uh, love the idea of that. And your book also, Fear is Not an Option, um, I'm looking forward to discussing that book with you as well. So, where do we begin? How did how did this all come about as to what you do now with your life and, and writing these books and helping other people? Uh, well, I was always curious as a child about, um, I had many questions about life, why we're here. And as a young child, I remember observing my family and people around me and not really finding answers to those kinds of questions. And also I noticed that no one really seemed happy or fulfilled, yet they were very busy chasing things that they thought would make them happy. For sure. And Mm. as a child, it was confusing for me. I kind of felt... What age are you talking here, like as a child? Because, I mean, that's something very insightful or very wise for a child to be holding on to and having that sort of perspective. It was actually really young, which is going to sound kind of strange, but even at age four, five, six, I kind of felt like I didn't belong. That's how I understood it. I felt kind of foreign. I was very loved. My family is very nurturing, but I felt like I had landed, you know, off of a ship and I just didn't, 
I didn't, this just didn't make sense. And I remember even as a child at that age, having tea parties with God, I would sit and play and I never felt alone. I felt very connected to something higher than myself, but there were no answers. And I kind of went through life looking at, um, feeling this way. I went to Beverly Hills high school. I got very distracted for a time being and, you know, got busy with other things that weren't really beneficial for me. And then I found spirituality, Kabbalah specifically at age 17. So I guess I was always searching and, Mm. um, and then life happens to you, right. And different things occur and, um, chaos or challenges. And that was when I really needed information. And so this wisdom provided that for me. Oh, that's the, the spirituality Kabbalah? Yes, yes. Kabbalah? Kabbalah. <laughs> what is Kabbalah? Tell me about this. I, I, I heard about it the first time when I um, was contacted by one of your uh, colleagues in regards to this interview. I always get excited when I learn new things um, that I had never heard before. So it's an ancient wisdom that explains the complexities of the material and the non-material world, along with the physical and the spiritual nature of all humanity. So for thousands of years, as it's an ancient wisdom, Kabbalistic sages have taught that every human being is born with the potential for greatness. And Kabbalah is a remarkably effective means for activating that potential. So it's a deep wisdom that can enhance anybody's life. And it's kind of like a manual for life. It gives you tools and tips and um, helps expand your consciousness so that when things, again, like we said earlier, happen to you in life, they don't happen to you. They happen through you. You can make sense of them. You can grow from them. You can derive happiness and long lasting fulfillment. And this has been the formula for my success. Mm. And really fear is not an option. Change junkie. All the things that I write about that I work on is really with this, um, consciousness that everything is ultimately a gift it might come in a package that doesn't seem that way. It might be a gift that you want to send back. But if you really peel back the layers and you look, there's something special and unique there for each person. Right. I, well, where did this all begin? What specifically? The wisdom of Kabbalah. Well, it's actually from the book called The Zohar. It's the wellspring for all of Kabbalistic wisdom. And that was revealed 2000 years ago. So all of the teachings come from this book and, um, it's actually 23 books and it's a commentary on biblical and spiritual matters. And it's in the form of conversations among spiritual giants. So it's very deep. It will take a person a lifetime to study. Um, and then some, but in each thing, I mean, I've never any question that's ever been posited. I, I can find in this wisdom. So you've been studying this since you were 18, you came across this? 17. 17, yep. yeah, okay. And is it, does, it, uh, does it have a belief in a higher being or God or something like that, or is it different yes. from, yeah? Yes, and, it, and it's referenced, I mean, it can be called the light, the universe, the creator, God. It's more um, understood as an energy and an energy source, a force, and it's from the place we all come from, and it's where we all go back to. So it's constantly tapping into that energy and becoming more connected to that. So you have the certainty and the ability to navigate through life, because life can be scary. It's filled with uncertainty. Um, we seem that sometimes we're at the whim of the universe, and this um, really is the, the navigator. Mm, yeah, okay, so that's sort of like an operating guide to life or living life to its fullest. Yeah, yeah. 
Interesting. Where do we begin with, um, you know, tapping into some of the, the wisdom in, in this, um, this, this spirituality or this religion? Well, there are um, Kabbalah centers around the world that teach uh, the classes. There's Kabbalah.com, so you can learn online. Um, I would recommend doing it that way because if anybody was to pick up the book, it's it was written in Aramaic and it was translated to English. It, it would be very difficult for a layman to suffer, kind yeah. of approach that. Yes, <laughs> really impossible. Um, but well, in, in what are the, some of the fundamentals? I mean, just let's have a conversation about the fundamentals of this this practice that you can share perhaps with us in a conversation today that might be a starting point for us to not only to get interested, but to even help start reflecting in our own lives and how it could relate. Well, there's so many, um, I'll give you a few tools. There's so many basic ones that, mm. um, you know, I think that the, the most important things are very easy to understand, but difficult to practice. Right. So, sure. For instance, um, being proactive versus reactive. It seems like it's a very basic thing, and it's something that we can all do. But when the ego is at work, right, and we get caught off in traffic or our brother-in-law says something to offend us or whatever it is, you can forget about being proactive. That re- reactive nature comes in. Yeah. And what happens if time and time again you choose to be reactive and you choose to use that aspect of yourself because everybody has good and evil within them, right? Anybody's capable of anything. I mean, we've all heard stories that somebody was completely sane and normal their whole life. And then one day they just snapped and they killed somebody, let's say, right? So everybody has the ability to do anything in life. That's the truth. But when you choose to use your ego and you choose to be in that reactive state over and over again, that starts to be the more powerful dominating expression within Mm -hmm. you. And Mm -hmm. more than, and then what happens over time is that you start to build shells upon your soul, right? And it's covered and it's darkened. And before you know it, you can't really access the light within you that easily, and it's the same thing if you if you conversely, on the other hand, really go out of your way to be kind and empathetic and sharing and doing things that are difficult to make other people feel better, then that's what's going to be dominating. So it's really kind of this battle of the ego, right? Which one's going to lead? Is it the light within you or is it the ego within you? So it very much is, is that kind of understanding, that kind of practice and the teachings and all of the tools help support that day to day. You know, like for instance, we learn about sharing, right? Everybody knows it's nice to be a sharing person. And a lot of people think they're good people, right? I'm a, I'm a good person. I will help so-and-so or I give charity. But for instance, Kabbalistics, Kabbalists teach that transformative sharing is much more important. So for instance, let's say that you're a millionaire and I ask you to write a check and that's your action of sharing. You're going to think that's a good thing, right? Yeah. But if I ask you to go clean the bathroom, and you're a millionaire, which would be harder for you to do, to write the check or to go clean the bathroom? Yeah, yeah, the bathroom, sure. Right, and so by doing that, a transformation occurs within you where the ego is now humbled and your ability to shine is greater. So it's it's that kind of study, really. Okay, let's go back to proactive and reactive because I believe 100% that you know we, we react to a lot of things and, and we allow that to control ourselves. Now, are you saying that the reaction for most of us is coming from a place of ego rather than natural instinct or ability. Absolutely. And I think that the more, um, you put energy there, the more it grows. And that's why some people have much greater egos and other people have less. Hmm. And even, you know, some people, these egos are more obvious, but we all have it. Right. There's a part of me that agrees, but there's also a part of me that perhaps doesn't agree. And that's the fact that we, Regardless, without control, 
we still will react in certain situations before we even have time to think about how we react. No, I would argue that because, and I love, I love that you're challenging it, but I think that if you practice this day in and day out, but what are we practicing here? Like, so it's another tool, right? It's this idea that when something happens, instead of reacting, you push pause, pause, and you put it in perspective. Like, okay, this person did this. It seems like the end of the world. It's, it's again, it's a muscle that you grow. It's, it's not something that you just decide to do. It's something that time and time again, you have to practice because ultimately you're more invested in your growth and your transformation than just reacting to whatever's in front of you. I don't know, but I I think even the wisest person could still have a little bit of reaction, even though they've practiced this and they're very good at at controlling it and not reacting and being um, proactive, I suppose. I'm sure there's times where something just gets them and and they react without, you know, even with all the years of practice, they still react um, perhaps what they would consider poorly. I think that the, I I think we're saying the same thing, but a little bit different. I think that sometimes people repress and they think that, okay, they're holding it in. I'm saying that, yeah, sometimes there needs to be a conversation. Sometimes it might even be that you are loud and you say what you feel. The difference is there's not going to be that anger or that upset or that it's coming from that place where I feel slighted or I'm hurt or I'm going to show them. Sometimes we do need to defend ourselves. We do need to stick up for ourselves. We absolutely Mm. need Mm. to speak up. Hmm. But it's coming from a different space, right? I could yell, for instance, at my child and because I was enraged by something. I was in a bad mood. I was tired, whatever it was. Or I can raise my voice and yell at them because actually they did something dangerous and they need to know that this is serious and they need that reaction, right? But what, what's leading but that, it? But that's it? not a reaction as such, is it? I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a, a deliberate, intentional uh, response to a situation, whereas a reaction might be dropping a brick on my toe and going, ah, you know damn, that really hurt and getting really frustrated by that. And I know it's obviously very contextual, but there is a point where I could drop a brick on my toe and go, oh, geez, that really hurt and control it. And then sort of, you know, think about how I'm going to react to that. Or I could drop it in this without time, without pause, without reflection, just react uncontrollably to that situation. But see, I'm not, let's not use the brick because that's a reaction. Okay, you're having a physical reaction to mm. something, pain. Okay, so pain, you can curse, whatever it is. You're having a reaction. Let's say that I'm, I walk by you in the street and I bump you. Yeah. Okay, I bump into your shoulder. Now, you might assume that I did it on purpose. There was plenty of space on the sidewalk. As you saw it, I was walking too closely to you. And you react, right? I, like, why don't you watch where you're going, whatever it is. Or... Or if you are practicing this kind of expansion of consciousness, you could give me the benefit of the doubt. Maybe I was distracted. Maybe I just had a phone call a minute before, whatever it was. But but allowing that space and thinking of another option and, and controlling that reactive state, you're allowing yourself to have a different response. And you will have a different response. If you give me the benefit of the doubt and not assume that I have it out for you, you're going to respond differently for the most part. Hmm. But whether it's pain of a brick hitting your toe or just discomfort, because everything that we do is, is, you know, driven by this level of discomfort. So if that bump for some reason in that moment, even though it's not really physically discomfort, discomforting, that could make us react in a, in a way that perhaps we wouldn't have reacted. But initially, you know, like initially we react and go, oh, what are you doing? And then, you know, we could calm down and think about it and perhaps respond a little bit better. But 
Does that but matter? that's the practice. And if you do that day in and day out, then eventually the space from how long it takes you to get there is going to shorten and shorten and shorten yes. until it's not really there anymore. That's the practice. So how, how are we practicing this, like the, the pause or the reflection? What is the, the practice exactly? Well, that's the study. I mean, it would be taking, uh, you know, again, the the wisdom is so expansive. We have Kabbalah one, two, three. You would study Mm. for, you know, and the more you study, the more you learn, the more you understand. And and then the transformation occurs. I mean, I can tell you completely, I can give you countless examples in my own life of how I've changed my perspective and I've seen something as a curse to a blessing, a big things too. Hmm. Is there a way that we can, I mean, obviously there's, there's years of practice. No, no, there's years of practice, obviously, with wisdom and, and becoming wise, I suppose, no matter what religion or, or following you might pursue. But is there a guide to becoming less reactive that you could sort of say, well, look, step one would be to understand the, the situation. Step two would be to pause and reflect. You know, is there a certain guide and a simple formula that we could use? Yeah, it's called the proactive formula, actually. Okay, um, there you go. So, and you kind of just said it. So when something happens, you that that makes you react, you stop and you say, pause, what a pleasure. So what a pleasure is like you're inviting the an opportunity that this could be because of something else, right? This could be something else other than what I'm thinking. There's an opportunity here for me. The second is to then um, choose a different response and... Um, and, and your reaction or lack of reaction to it in that way. And then is to see the unique gift. What is the opportunity for you? Because even when something, let's say somebody wronged you, and they really did, right? There still is something for you to see, something you can learn from, something you can grow from. Maybe it's even to choose a better friend, right? But there's something there. So it's those three steps. Okay. Do we, I mean, is in practice, are we looking at the opportunity here in everything? Like even if yes. you're walking down the street and someone bumps you into the shoulder, um, you know, are we going to be thinking about that bump and, and what it meant and looking at the opportunity? I mean, yes, you don't want to spend hours pondering that insignificant thing, but yes, I mean, I do with everything. I mean, if mm. I, for instance, go to the airport I and mean, this happened, I missed my flight instead of getting upset about it, my reaction now completely is okay. I'm not meant to be on that one, even though I had plans and I'm going to miss this and that I trust the process completely. And there's a, I'm I'm destined to be on the next one. It's that approach. I mean, or if somebody does bump me, I think, okay, what was a way that maybe I did something yesterday that was insensitive or I do, I think that there is no random. I think everything happens for a reason. Oh, you think a a bump might have been, okay. That's interesting. Not a a punishment, but an opportunity. And it's an opportunity. Like that would be for me, an opportunity to be more mindful, to be more aware of my actions. How do I affect people? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So proactive versus reactive. Let's go back to the ego um, versus, I think you said light. Um, yes. Is that sort of what you'd say is the opposite of the ego? Is that the place of inner wisdom, light? Yes. Yes. Well, because that in the absence of ego, um, you know, ego is the thing that wants to be right all the time. Ego wants to be the loudest one in the room. Ego wants to not learn anything or be curious. Ego knows everything. There's no expansion. There's no growth in that. Um, and the opposite of that is to be curious, to be, um, seeking change, to be open, to, to listen to other people. I mean, the ego gets, the ego's biggest thing is also, it gets in the middle of relationships, it stops people from being vulnerable um, 
to being expressive with love and with desire. And, um, yeah, it's really a big thing. And I don't think people realize how often that actually gets in the middle of things. Why do you think the ego exists? Well, we do need a healthy, we need some ego, right? But I really think that ego is there because it's an opportunity for us to learn to not just give into that desire. So another Kabbalistic concept is the desire to see for the self alone, which is in essence is ego and versus the desire to see for the sake of sharing. So we all come into the world with that desire to receive for the self alone. I mean, babies, they have one desire. They want to be, you know, fed and they want to be held and changed. And then, you know, as we grow, it's really, we, we see life through the lens of self. It's all ego. Um, but it's there for us to be able to rise above that and to grow. And so, yes, we want to achieve things. We want to be able to amass things and gather things for ourselves, but then ultimately we want to also have that. So then we can transform and share that with other people. And so the ego is just there as an opportunity for us to, um, elevate because Kabbalists believe that you are supposed to leave this world differently than how you entered it. Mm. And the process of that is by taking control over the ego of binding the ego. Ego will always get us in trouble. Ego does get us in trouble. Yeah, I've been in trouble by my ego. But oh, I, yeah. I, and I wouldn't say it's, it's in a matter of having an absence of ego because that's, for me, impossible anyway. For everybody. No, we all need to have ego because ego you know, is part of desire. You need to have that. But if you can then transform it, if you can elevate it, right? So again, the desire to see for the self alone for the sake of sharing that that's the aspect that you want to add on to it. And when you do that, so yes, you'll have ego. I feel proud of what I did and I feel good about it. Like for instance, let's say a person wants to write a, a book or be on TV and they have this desire because they really want to see their name on the printed page or they want to see their name on television or their face on TV. And it's just feeding the ego. It's going to be limited in what it can do and how much it can reach people. It has, it has a shelf life. But if that person says, no, I want to be able to write a book because I want to help them transform or change or teach them something they didn't know before. So yes, you can enjoy the part of the ego that has written and published and feel proud of it, but then you want it to go beyond that. But isn't pride like an affliction? Isn't that like something that we shouldn't be sort of going towards? Well, when I say pride, I'm saying like self-esteem, self-worth. I think there's a healthy aspect there. Um, pride in terms of ego, right? There's, it's a very it's a hard thing to separate there, isn't it? Self-esteem and, it and this, this ego that pushes us because that's, that's essentially what ego is pushing us towards is self-esteem or survival. And I think if life is survival then ego is a necessary evil. It is, but the thing that that differentiates it is intention, right? So again, why are you doing the things you're doing? You're going to derive some satisfaction, some happiness, some little sense of like, yeah, I feel really good about myself, and that is normal and healthy, right? What's the alternative? You know, walk with your head face down all the time. But if your intention, again, is it's not just for me, it's not just for me to look good or be special or be respected. No, I'm doing these things because I believe in them. I'm passionate about them. I do feel good about myself, but also I want to help do X, Y, and Z. It has to be bigger than you. Mm. Yeah, I do. I do love it, and but I, I still I question it all um, and wonder because I mean I could say why I do this podcast, and, and really I, I believe a lot of the things I do are very selfish in, in natural intent. Um, even though with this podcast and the, the years that it's been running for, um, I believe that it does help people and I hope it does help people that listen in and tune into these conversations because I think they are inspiring and they're saying you can learn from them. But 
is it driven by ego or is it driven by that that need to help others and and going beyond myself is it a need for selflessness i think it's both and i think it's both especially if you're somebody who hasn't given a lot of thought in this area right again it's like going to the gym this is a muscle that you build so i think that the fact that the subjects that you're talking about i mean i read about you before we got on this um podcast today but I think that your intentions are to help people, right? It's there's a bigger picture, but then there's also you are gratifying the ego. And again, the ratio will change depending on how much energy you put where. Yeah, well, I, I hope that you know by finding meaning and purpose, which is what this really is for me, um, and that's that's why it came about because I found the passion behind the learning and the in the sharing and the teaching. Um, but it's really about meaning for me and purpose for me. And without it, I would have this 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 lacking of meaning and purpose so that's very selfish isn't it it's very ego driven even though that the intent now may be to help people through their lessons and learnings and whatever um the fundamentals of it it's really selfish but i yes and no i mean a little bit but i think also like if you said i i'm doing this to make money or because I really want to see, you know, I like that it's my show that that's all ego. But the fact that even that you want to derive purpose for your own life, right. That's not tapping into your ego. That's tapping into your soul. Hmm. So I, I think that's a beautiful thing. And I think that is, and that again, there's going to be gray areas too. It depends on how much consciousness you give to this, yeah, but I, I think yeah. that's actually more connected to the soul of you and not the ego. Yeah. Sometimes. And, and you're, you're right. You're right. And sometimes we can think into these things too much, but um, certainly, yeah, if I was doing this more of a, a need to make money and, and that's why it wouldn't be sustainable. And that's how it sort of started as well. Part of it. Um, and that's why I say a lot of people, if you're doing something that doesn't have good intent and doesn't have purpose and meaning to you, and you're only doing it for money or because, you know, Mr. Jones over there is doing it, um, it's probably not going to be sustainable and it's probably not going to give you that level of meaning and purpose in your life that's going to um, take you anywhere great. So it's um, yeah, Absolutely. very valid points. There you go, versus the light. How do we, um, I mean, I don't know if you talk about this in your work, but how do you help help people recognize this inner light or their, you know, their purpose, I suppose? I mean, is that something that you sort of work with people on? I do. A lot because um, many people that I meet with, they're really stuck in where they're at. They question, you know, how did I get here? I don't understand what happened. Um, And that's really painful, right? I always say I'd rather the pain of discipline than the pain of regret because regret, you know, once it's there and you don't have as many options as you see it, it's very difficult. So a lot of my work is there and a lot of people struggle with finding their purpose and their passion because from early on, they were living somebody else's life or somebody else's ideal of what their life should be like. And when you do that and you're interested in people pleasing and, you know, you've, you've devoted your life to that, it's very hard to now suddenly find it. Um, and also most people are very busy assigning other people to be the, um, the uh, professionals to listen to, right? They assign a doctor to be in the know for them or a police officer or a lawyer where really we have all the answers, but when we shut off and drown out our voice, we we stop hearing it all together. So people ask me, you know, um, do we all have our own unique purpose? Because especially if they look at other people and the person to the right of me is successful and to the left of me is, so that must make me unsuccessful or I'm a loser. I mean, you know, there's a lot of negative self-talk. 
but everybody's destined for greatness. And that's one, that's another Kabbalistic premise Mm. that each person's come into the world to reveal something unique to their soul. Like you have your own unique thing to reveal. I have my own specific unique thing to reveal and our, our ability to reveal things and affect others is far beyond what we imagine. So that's where we get into our way. And again, that's ego too, by the way. Mm. I mean, even what we think on an optimistic day, what we think we can do for ourselves and others is not even close to what's possible. So, I really try when I meet with people is to help them discover what they love and what brings them joy and happiness and then put their energy there. So part of it is let's remove what's not working for you. Just remove it, stop doing it. And let's start identifying the things that make you feel some kind of warmth in your heart, in your gut and move towards that. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And I think that's a good way to start and find it. And I think, you know, it might take years to trial these things and and really discover that thing that gives you meaning but um following those passions and pursuits um certainly can lead you there well i think the thing that makes it take longer because for some it takes very long time and for others less is belief systems right i mean do you think you deserve like i said everybody's destined for greatness very few people believe that when you talk about greatness, but I mean, see, this is the thing. I mean, you're going to think of ego again. I know where you're going. Well, with what, this. what do people <laughs> what do people define as greatness? And that's that's a big problem with society now. It's because we're surrounded by these people that are achieving, you know, amazing things. And I guess they're they're outliers in a lot of senses. But there's greatness that can be found in living a very humble and content life, doing you know, writing I don't know book after book that doesn't reach anyone, but just gives you a level of satisfaction in learning and writing. Well, I love this question. I think greatness is happiness. And I think greatness, you know, there's an, there's an actual quote from the Zohar. It says, he who is great is small. What does that mean? It means the person that is the biggest actually has, it's about ego again, has the smallest ego. Greatness really is, it's not about doing great things. It's about revealing your soul's potential. And when you are doing that, again, you're leading with that aspect of yourself that is pure and full of light and it's unique to each person. And that's why everybody's destined for greatness. Hmm. One of my favorite quotes, it's from Mark Twain. He said, um, that I'm, I'm not quoting it exactly, but it's great people make you feel that you too could be great, right? It's the small people that make you feel otherwise. So everybody's destined for greatness. You just have to find what it is you're meant to do. And it doesn't mean, uh, you know, that it's, it's, it's money or that um, it's how, again, how our society is defining success. It's really about living an authentic, happy life. Hmm. When you say there's something unique, this unique greatness in each of us, is that something that you would consider as innate that can be unfolded in everyone? Or is that something that is uh, discovered and I suppose um, not built, that's not the word I'm looking for, uh, designed, I suppose, in our lives and can change? So innate or not innate? Both. I think we all have innate talents. Um, you mentioned the outliers, you know, in the book, you know, they had people who were so, who had some kind of talent, right? Let's say to play the violin. And, um, and they followed these people. They all started at the same age. 
And the difference from the people that became professional, like the best of the best, was how many hours they practiced, right? So to become great at anything, it's 10,000 hours of practice, which equals 10 years. So yes, we all have innate abilities for many things. I can tell you for myself, I could have chosen a very different life. I grew up in a very different world. I was born in Thibodeau, Louisiana. There was not a spiritual thing in my house. It just was not, I was not raised like that. I never thought that I would write books and lecture around the world or this was not, I didn't know this right when I, when I was growing up, Hmm. but I decided to invest my time and energy into this from age 17. So we can grow anything. That ability is within all of us. And again, you know, there's that children's game and I, I think it's a good analogy. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but there you hide an object in the room, right? There's a bunch of children. One leaves the room, the child comes back in and they, they don't know where this object is. And when they get closer to the object, they say you're getting warmer. When they go farther away from it, you're getting colder. I think that's, that's a, in life, we have moments where we feel warm about something. We feel that when we see something or we study something or we learn something and have discovered it, something feels like, wow, when we ignore mm. that and we choose something else in life, well, no, you're not going to reveal your greatness. It doesn't mean you're, what you're going to do is great or not great. That's not the point. It's just, what is it that you're meant to do? And that's mm. how you discover it. Mm. Yeah. I think a lot of people get lost in all this is you totally. know, finding their, totally. their thing that they're meant to do and, and getting caught up that it's, you know, something very unique and going to fall out of the sky and, and, you know, come to them at some stage in their life rather than I feel that there's no such thing as innate. I think we're all pretty much the same. And, uh, yes, we have physical differences and things that might influence what we do and our talents. Um, but overall, um, like you just said before, you know, if we put our belief and our practice and our effort into something, we could develop anything in any particular direction that we desire. Um, but it's Absolutely. about moving out there and, and trying these things and feel that thing that actually brings us a level of joy or passion and, and good feeling and then follow those things more deeply. I think, yes, absolutely. I, I, I think it's unwavering perseverance and determination. And if you put that in the mix and you start to pursue things that interest you or excite you even just a little bit, but then you put that energy after it, behind it, there's nothing we can't do. Hmm. And what about fear? I mean, I know you talk a lot about fear and I guess this is, um, something once we have a level of belief in, in, in who we are and, and creating that identity and then we put you know this undeniable effort towards that, um, the fear is something that holds us a lot back from achieving these things and achieving our greatness, I suppose. What, what, um, or where do we start with that? I mean, how do you talk to people about their fears and, and how that limits them? Well, you haven't read my book. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, fear. I think I decided to write about fear because that is something that stops everybody from really going after what they desire because fear feels so strong and so powerful and can be so crippling and mm. to different degrees for different people. So, um, I identify three different types of fear in my book. We can go through it if you want, but in a nutshell, basically, when fear isn't an option, right? If it's off the table, it's not an option because your thoughts create your reality. Then you have to look for another option. So that's very powerful in and of itself. And I think one of the questions we need to ask ourselves so we don't fall into the cycle of fear over and over again is when you want something, right? And the fear kicks in, stop and ask yourself, what would I do if I wasn't afraid? And then go do that immediately. Hmm. If you do, it's going it, to it's not going to give energy where you don't want to put it. It's going to put to where you really do. And from that space, you can manifest. Building that muscle. Yeah. 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 
So what are the three, the, the, what did you say? The three fears? There's three types of fear. Yeah. So there's healthy fear, uh-huh. real and illogical. So healthy is, you know, and actually because yeah, right. I, I wrote this book because I was in London and I was giving a lecture on fear. This is years ago. And, you know, the, the system in London, the taxis, it's a very intricate system. The, there's so many roads, side roads, many streets. I mean, it's very complex. And in fact, the taxi drivers go to school for years to understand it. But Uber was popular at that time. It had just come out hmm. and I took an Uber. Big mistake. He didn't know <laughs> anywhere where we were going. And I was getting afraid that I was going to miss this fear lecture, right? The irony is not lost on me. And it was raining and I had heels on. I'm thinking, should I jump out of the car? I kind of know where I am. Every street was a dead end or a one-way street. So anyway, I started to ignore that voice and I was listening to the radio and this woman had callers call in and she had written about fear and caller after caller was saying, thank you so much. I've learned to cope with my fear. I've learned to live with my fear. I've learned to manage my fear. And I thought, oh my God, you have this all wrong. You don't want to do any of that. You want to eradicate fear from your life. That is possible. Absolutely. So I decided to write this book. And I think, again, if you can identify these three types you really can navigate this very well. So the first one's healthy. Yeah. And like it sounds, healthy fear is set up for our protection and our survival. It's there to keep us safe. So if you are hiking and you're too close to the edge of a cliff and you get that feeling where you, you know, your heart kind of skips a beat, it's designed for you to step back and protect yourself. Or if your hands too close to an open flame, again, you would remove it because you don't want to get burnt. Um, and even intuition, if let's say you're about to go into an elevator and you feel really uncomfortable with the person that's in there, you know, don't go in more often than not, we ignore our intuition and, um, and that can be unsafe for us. I actually talk about the story of Carol Durant. Um, she was in, she lived in Murray, Utah, and she was approached by a police officer one day. And he said to her, your car has been broken into and we've apprehended the suspect and we've found some items on him. He's at the police station and I'd like you to come and identify and see if these are yours. So she got that weird feeling in her gut. Have you ever had that, that Mm. kind of feeling that something's not quite right? So she asked him, um, can I please see your badge? So he, he shows it to her. So she reluctantly decides to go along with him. They get into his car and they start to drive on the highway. And she notices that they're going the opposite direction of the police station. So she says, wait, you know, what are you doing? You're going the wrong way. We should be going the other way. So he has one hand on the steering wheel and he takes his other hand with the handcuffs and is trying to handcuff her. Now, because she was already on guard, she had her other hand on the door handle and she jumps out of the moving car. He stops the car. A fight ensues and she's able to escape. Hmm. Three days later, she reads the newspaper and she sees that on the day that she was that she was apprehended, um, attacked rather that this other woman was attacked and this woman though was raped and murdered and the police officer was really serial killer ted bundy so this healthy fear right is something we do want to keep them and and it works for for us yeah so the next fear is uh real fear so again real fear it's fear of death of sickness of aging of disease um of losing our loved ones this is something that happens in life, right? So the problem with this 
those most people spend time ruminating and fearing, oh my God, I don't want my parents to die. I don't know what I'm do without them. Or they get worried they're going to get sick and they're hypochondriacs and they're constantly going to the doctor. So again, that's such a waste of time and to put all that time into fear when you could actually be living, right? So if you fear losing your loved ones, then make sure you spend time with them or tell them that how much you love them, appreciate them, make sure the time is quality, right? Mm. If you fear getting a disease, then live a healthier lifestyle, go to the doctor, check your blood, eat healthy, exercise, move your body, right? There's so many options. So instead of feeding the fear, which is a waste of time, you can actually do something with these thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. The last fear that I discuss is illogical fear. And this is the one that actually, believe it or not, is the most debilitating and crippling of all. Most common this is probably, fear. isn't it? And it is. Yeah. It is. It's the one, the panic, right? Heart mm. palpitating, sweating palms. Um, it's the fear of uh, elevators, spiders, roaches, rats, heights, airplanes, you name it, right? And public speaking, reject, failure, all of that is under this umbrella. Yeah. So this is the one we want to completely eradicate. And I give much time in my book to exactly how to do that and tools, tips, exercises. So the first part of the book is this part. It's breaking down what fear. It's the anatomy of fear. The second part is my life story and it breaks down how I navigated through fear. And then the third part is how you're going to navigate through your fears. And it has different workshops and questions and journaling. Love it. Love it. Want to encourage the audience to pick up a copy. A um, lot to learn about fear, and there's there's a bunch of you know different perspectives and stuff on it. So I'm always interested to learn um, other perspectives because I think the more you can, the, the more you can, I suppose, put a stop to fear and how it limits uh, the life that you want to live as well. Well, you can actually start living the life you want to live. In the absence of fear, everything's possible. Yeah. Yeah. Is it? Is it? Um, I mean, other than healthy fear, I suppose, is there an ability to live with an absence of fear? I think there is. Yeah. I do. And I, I think that, you know, for me, um, if fear does come up, I challenge it right away. So I think that that is once you break through, right, you do all these exercises and you practice it and you build that muscle and you remove past fears, of course, there's going to be things in life that create new fears. I remember mm. that um, I my second son was born with Down syndrome and then I decided to get pregnant three months after he was born with my third child, because I knew, and by the way, I think that was the most fearless thing I've ever done because I knew that if I had not, I would be too afraid to get pregnant again because I only found out four hours after he was born that that was his diagnosis. I thought it was having a typical healthy child and, um, or my body would just not be able to do it because it was getting this response of fear. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, anyway, after I gave birth to my daughter, you know, my adrenal glands were shot. I got really sick, walking pneumonia. I mean, I was kind of a mess because there was trauma there, right? It's just, I mean, he was a blessing, but it took me a minute to get all of my body, mind, and spirit on that plan. Mm. So, um, and I, you know, I talk about that time, but it's before Josh and after Josh, because before Josh, I was like this adrenaline junkie. I mean, I was the person that was like, let's jump out of a parachute. Um, if there's some kind of situation that was urgent, I'm the one you call, I would pull my cousin's teeth out, blood, gluts, glory. Like I, I was that person. And then after, like I would practically faint from the sight of blood. I mean, I just was not coping. Yeah. But anyway, I had this great idea that we would go to this amusement park and, um, and ride roller coasters, my husband and I and the kids, and he doesn't love heights, but he's like, fine, we'll do this. 
What I hadn't realized is that the other part of the change that had happened is that what I used to love and found exciting absolutely terrified me now. But I only discovered that when we were on the first roller coaster and we're inching our way up to the first drop. And I start to panic. My heart is palpitating, palms sweaty. I mean, my breathing short. And on this roller coaster to the left of me is this bear, like a mechanical bear, like waving. And he's meant to be adorable for sure. But I remember thinking like, this is the last happy thing I will ever see. It's a sign that something bad's going to happen. And he was standing on this platform and I thought, okay, I can just jump off and stand next to him. And then I <laughs> caught that thought and I thought, oh my God, I sound insane. And I'm going to be on the evening news and I'm going to embarrass my family. I'll never live this down. Like the thought scared me more than the roller coaster. So obviously I stayed on the ride. I wrote it. But what I did after that is that I forced myself to go on every single roller coaster in the park. I did not, not that I suddenly loved it. I didn't, but I knew if I hadn't challenged myself, I would have left that park with a new fear that day. And that would have been a fear of roller coasters. So I think that when you live life like that on those terms and you're curious and you seek change and transformation, then yeah, you can actually pretty much live a fearless existence. That's cool. I love it. I love the story. Um, and it, it, well, it explains it very well too. So thank you, Monica. And thanks for coming on the show to share. How can people best reach out to you? Uh, my blog is called it's rethinklife.today yep. and my Instagram is Monica Berg 74 and my book is available on Amazon. You got a new book coming out? I do. I have a new book. It's called change junkie yep. and it will be out in, in a few months. Why do I think there was another book called rethink love? That is also written, and that's going to come out after Change Junkie. Okay. Yeah. Um, the Rethink Love is like a tome of a book. It's huge, and it's massive, and Change Junkie is really prescriptive. I feel like that should come first. So, yeah, look out for both. Cool. Keep the work coming. I'll stick those links in the show notes, guys, so you can check it all out at thehiddenwhy.com. This is episode 816 with Monica Berg. Wow. Monica, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Guys, check it out at thehiddenwhy.com. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwire.com. Just enter your email address there, and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcasts. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose and in doing so you will discover your hidden why this is the hidden why my name is Lee Manutzi until next time peace passion and purpose see you soon